Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome back to the podcast. We are going to be in James chapter 4 today, uh, starting in verse 13, and we're going to jump over a chapter break, which I... I feel like we talk a lot about bad chapter breaks, and uh, this might make the list of uh, w- one of those. It was a long time before I realized kind of the connection between the end of chapter 4, beginning in chapter 5, and I do think it's helpful to remember that you know the New Testament was not written originally with chapter breaks. These were letters and gospels that were just written as a whole the unit that didn't have chapters and verses until later on. Yeah, and um, a lot of these New Testament letters were written, like we said, as letters. So the people would get them and they'd read them in one go, yeah. right? And by the way, James is a very approachable letter to read in one go. Um, yep. Very easy to do just that. And there are copies of Bibles out there, by the way, that take out chapter breaks that are sometimes helpful to read. Um, I've got a set like that that's super cool to come back to, or you could just Google it. Um, I would encourage you to do that on your own time sometime. But yeah, this is a section that very clearly goes together. Chapter 4 and verse 13 starts with, Come now, um, you who say, and we'll talk about that in just a second. And then chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Come now, you rich, which I think the same group of people is being addressed here. So I think this is a unit that goes goes together quite well. Yeah. Let's jump in and read the first of these sections, uh, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. All right, so in verse 13, there's apparently a fellow that he's talking about. I don't think it's a specific person, but I think it is fair to say it's those who are rich that he has in mind here. That they just kind of talk haphazardly about, oh, today or tomorrow we're going to go over here and we're going to go spend a day or two there, a week there, and we're going to make some money and we're going to work on this business. And they just kind of talk so loosely about the plans that they've made to go and make a buck in the city next to them or a city across the country from them or whatever have you. And it's pretty obvious that the type of person that can go and do this has a lot of wealth. That They have the ability to just up and leave and go do this kind of thing. And so it's not shocking to me that it might be someone who's rich that he has in mind here. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea here is that it's someone who is talking as though they are in control. Mm-hmm. And their money, perhaps, is yep. what's giving them this sense of security, this sense of, oh, we're fine. You know, like we can yeah, If I want to go risk. there, I go there. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, he, he's warning against pride here. He's already just talked, to, we talked in the uh, last episode about humble yourselves before God. Uh, he'll exalt you. That's where exaltation has to come from. It can't come from our possessions, our riches, which let me just say from the outset, um, it seems like James is talking primarily to poor brethren in this letter. We've talked about that in the first couple of episodes. Um, but apparently there were some rich among them 
And it's so easy for me, easy for us to be like, oh, yeah, the rich, the 1%, you know, whatever. We are so rich. I mean, how many of us right now could hop in our car and be able to afford to drive all the way to L.A.? Or if you're in L.A., all the way to the East Coast, you know? It's insane. Yeah. We, We don't even realize how crazy rich we are. And so we, you know, just generally speaking here in the West and in the United States, we're all the rich. We're yeah, all the, we have absolutely. to see this as like James is talking to me in this passage because this isn't just a, oh, I know someone who needs to hear that, which that should be all of it, right? I mean, that's the speck in the plank thing with Jesus. We need to all apply this to ourselves, um, but especially those of us who have such incredible riches. Yeah, and I'll just say, I don't even know if verse 13 is so much all the time a conscious thing. Because I find myself doing this. I just kind of talk loosely about what my plans are and what I'm going to go and do. But what it really does is, is it reveals in me a self-reliance and a lack of, of trust in the Lord. And really a lack of of reality that, hey, mm-hmm. you don't know if you're going to make it to that city. Your your life could be taken before then. Or or time and chance happen to us all. Something might happen where that falls through and you go don't go and do that. And so even if it's not something that we're consciously doing, like, oh, you know, I, well, I'm going to go do that because I can, it still, I think, can reveal a problem in our heart when we act this way. Um, and so it's something we all need to take care of. Yeah. And the analogy he uses, I mean, in verse 14, he says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. I mean, let alone mm-hmm. a year from now. I mean, if COVID's taught us anything, this is certainly yeah. a very relevant passage yeah, for the past year. You have idea what's going to happen. We, we do not know no. uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I will say, we live in unstable times, and that's hard, but that's also good for us. Because the fact of the matter is, we always live in unstable times. Yes. We just feel it sometimes more than others. And we need to give thanks for that at times. Uh, you know, we want things to be stable. We want things to go well. But the more we realize our reliance on God and on His will, that's a good, healthy thing for us. Amen. Yes. Whenever we're living in times like this, as everyone has across all of the existence of humanity, when you live in shaky times, what it's supposed to do is help you cling to the thing that is most permanent, which for a Christian is what? Our God. He is well, our anyone. God. Yeah, <laughs> he really. is the only permanent thing. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we ought not to, to have this self-reliance or the spirit of arrogance um, with the uncertainties of this world, but we ought to put our trust in the Lord and know that things happen in his timing. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Yeah, um, man, have you ever ever seen that morning um, mist? Yeah, exactly. Or um, I just think about steam that, that just kind of once it's in a big enough environment, it just kind of disappears. It's not there anymore. It just is gone, and that's really what our life is like in the grand scheme of eternity. And I'll tell you, Steve, in this section right here specifically, it reminds me a lot of the book of Ecclesiastes, Mm -hmm. where he puts it into perspective just how little time we really have here and how ultimately we need to fear God and keep his commandments because that's Mm -hmm. the duty of every man. Yeah, amen. And it's interesting to me, thinking about that picture of the mist, that you're not expecting the mist to stick around. You know, like, oh, that's that's pretty. See the mist on the water there? But you know, as soon as the sun comes up... It's gone. And this is very similar to what James said back in chapter 1, that it's like the flower. Like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. And this is talking about the rich again. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. 
So the flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst mm-hmm. of his pursuits. And I mean, you don't have to look far at all to see example after example after example of someone who had it all and overnight it's gone. Yep. Just like a mist when you wake up in the morning and it's gone. Um, we have to realize that we are all that fragile. We are all that susceptible and vulnerable and we need the Lord. We need to be ready and seeking the kingdom first. And um, so this is just a gut check for those with a lot of possessions that realize that your life is a mist. You're just here for a moment. Your riches are a mist that can be gone in a moment, even if you're not gone. Um, I think about Job, you know, so many different examples of those who are just gone or the rich fool, you know, in uh, Luke 15, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to build bigger barns and you you fool. No, you're not. Uh, Tonight, your soul is required of you. That's right. And the alternative, again, James just doesn't doesn't just say the negative. He says, instead, here's what you sh- here's what you should do, if the Lord wills. What a great phrase to meditate on. Mm-hmm. If God is willing, then I will live and do this or do that. Right. And sometimes we shorten this down to you know, well, Lord willing, uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, depending yeah. on <laughs> your uh, region of the from? U.S. Yeah. Um, but uh, that idea of my whole life is to be lived within the will of God, and it is only God allowing my plans to happen. Um, it's like the Proverbs talk a lot about this. The, yeah. the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Um, it's the Lord who establishes um, our plans and can make them stand or fall. And so every plan we make, even if it's for tomorrow, um, or later today, yeah. <laughs> we say, well, if the Lord wills, you know. Um, and that's just kind of a helpful uh, check-in for ourselves and for others, I think, you know, that if we're just talking to people, well, if the Lord wills, I will see you, yeah. God willing. That, I think that's helpful. This is one of those phrases we actually see Paul use in Acts 18. So this actually goes back to, to season two. This is toward the end of his second preaching trip while he's in Ephesus. And he'll leave in Acts 18, 21 and say, I will return to you again. If God wills, mm-hmm. and he set sail from Ephesus. And guess what? He does end up coming back around uh, to Ephesus and, and, um, and a little bit later in Acts on that third preaching trip. But let me just say, if anyone needed to learn the phrase, if God wills, it was the Apostle Paul. He was constantly having his plans directed elsewhere as a result of his work in preaching and teaching. And he understood that his entire life and his entire ministry was just up to God's timing. And there are time, times where, where Paul is headed one way and the Spirit will direct him to go another way. He recognizes that his plans don't always come about. And we need to understand that in our lives as well. And I think everybody on here can think back through their life and think about where they've been and where they are now and realize, wow, God's hand really was on me. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't talk a lot about our background, Stephen and I, but I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. Now I live in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And it's just the kind of thing that, like, as I was growing up, I would have never, no one could have ever told me that that's where I was going to end up. But that's where I am because that was, I believe, the Lord's will. And we have to submit to his will. Yeah. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah. And moved around a lot. So yeah, uh, it is cool to me to see the number of times that Paul says this. Um, in 1 Corinthians 4.19, he says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. Yeah. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 7, For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Yeah. 
Um, there were several other... And with the Corinthians in specific, he does have a hard time getting with them the times <laughs> yeah. that he wants he to. Is. So Corinthians, he has to kind of backpedal and be like, hey, here's why I changed my plans. Exactly. And that's okay because we're all in the Lord's timing. That's the whole point there. Yep. That's right. And, and, and God is firm. Our plans are not firm. And man, I mean, in our go, 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 do, do, do culture, we need this. We, we fill our schedules. We plan it way out. We have our calendars. And we just need, if the Lord wills, like stamped on our forehead. Because we just don't know what's going to happen. And um, he ties us in with arrogance. Verse Amen. 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Um, again, we might not think of it arrogantly, but if we just stop thinking about God and our time, thinking about God and our plans, that is foolishness. That is, that is arrogance. We only exist and live and move and have our being. Our very breath comes from God. And if that ever leaves our consciousness, we are in dangerous spiritual territory. And so James is just getting his audience, particularly the wealthy that he's talking to, um, to wake up and say, uh, if the Lord wills, you know, I'm only here. I only exist and my abundance only exists by his grace. And if the Lord wills, we'll do this or do that. And when we don't, when we fail to do this, verse 17, if we know the right thing to do, say if the Lord wills or be humble, and we fail to do it, it's a sin. Yeah. I, by the way, I don't think it's a sin if you like forget to say if the Lord wills after some plan. But I think it's a heart posture. Yeah. If you know you need to think this way and you don't, watch out. I've often seen verse 17 as kind of a catch-all for the previous section altogether. So not only dealing with this commandment that he gives to these brethren, but also with everything he's talked to talked about to this point. I think this is a good general principle to abide by. Hey, if you know if you know the right thing and you don't do it, that's sinful. You should be doing the right thing uh, as the Lord has lined it out for us. Um, so that brings us to chapter 5. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver has rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth, and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So like you mentioned, Chase, uh, come now, come now. Uh, chapter four, thirteen, and chapter 5, verse 1. And I think, you know, we say come now. I kind of picture him saying, come on, you rich. Like, get with it. Like, this is a little bit of a, like, listen up. Uh, come now, you rich. And, and, and again, wow, uh, probably one of the least read or emphasized verses, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Very similar to chapter 4, verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking to the rich, but in particular, he's talking to hoarders. Yeah, He's talking to people who have a lot of possessions that they are not giving to others right which is why i think he talks about verse two your riches have rotted 
Your garments are moth-eaten. How, how does that happen? How does something rot or get eaten by moths? Not you, you store it up. Yeah. It's sitting there unused, and that's why you need... Uh, that is not why God gives us things. Right, he doesn't exactly. just give us possessions or riches to just store it up and not use it to help other people. Yeah. Um, it's not wrong to be rich, but we can't become hoarders. And that is why Jesus will say how hard it will be or is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, they have all this stuff in the way of putting their full reliance on the Father, on God. I love verse 3, your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. Every time I see rust now, that's what I think about. If I have something that's rusted out, it tells me, hey, like, why'd that rust out? You're, you're hanging on to it for too long. You, you, maybe you need to let that go. Maybe you need to share it with other people. Yeah, and there's times where you can get something that's rusty from because you've used it so much yeah, in, a, in a good service. But the idea here is gold and silver corroding is like, you've just tucked it away yeah. and like no one, it never sees the light of day. And so that's bearing witness against you. We are given abundance to be able to be generous. We are enriched to enrich others. And uh, so much of this goes back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Guess, guess where we're going to go with that. Um, where Jesus said, you know, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal moth and rust destroy here's the moth and the corrosion right here absolutely <laughs> on the rust and so um he says it's gonna eat you up you know your riches are gonna burn you up um when they burn with you is kind of the idea i think yeah so he, oh sorry go ahead mm-hmm. well I was, I was just gonna say because so in verses one through three he's definitely talking about like the stuff mm-hmm. they store up the, the the problems that the rich have with storing things up then in verses 4 and 5, or really verse 4, it talks about the way that they treat those who have a hand in their wealth, those who are their laborers. I find this really interesting because there's these people who are out there mowing their fields, and they haven't paid them. They've withheld what's due to them for their labor. And he says, they cry out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Or yes, Sabaoth, really, Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts <laughs> is the better translation there. Which goes back to an Old Testament idea. Um, really, I think the first time that word is used is in 1 Samuel where it talks about the Lord being the Lord of hosts. But the idea is the the God of the armies of heaven mm-hmm. is a more literal translation of that yes. word. It's not just like hosts as in like, oh, hospitality. Yeah, hosts, you know? yeah. <laughs> and that's why sometimes this word is hard or tricky to translate, but it's the idea of God is this God of the armies of heaven. He's the one looking out for those who are in poverty, for those who are, who are impoverished. And so necessarily you look at these people, that these rich brethren have not been paying, and he's saying they cry out against the God um, that, that hears these things. And so you need to do right by them. You need to pay them. That's right. And again, He's talking about being generous. He's talking about giving what's just uh, to to your laborers. I mean, again, he's talking to people who are in a position of authority. They're they're the boss. They're the one with the riches paying people to mow their fields. They're not having to do it themselves. And so he's saying, it's it's you've got it stored up. You're hoarding it up when there are people you ought to be paying. Like you are being unjust. And so. The Lord of Armies has heard about this. You might think, well, I'm the one with the power. No one can come after me. Uh, I'm not accountable to anybody. No, no, the God of Armies sees what you're doing to your laborers, and he's going to come, and you're fattening yourself up for a day of slaughter. He's saying, like, you're the fattened calf, basically. Um, You're living on earth in luxury, self-indulgence. 
but you're just getting fat because the Lord's coming and it's going to be a bloodbath. I mean, James is not pulling any punches with the rich here, especially those who are being hoarders or who are keeping back unjustly the wages of their laborers. Um, it's just uh, straight up. He's trying to shock them with this language into generosity, into to even just fair treatment of, uh, of their employees. And um, in verse 6, he says, You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. Uh, he does not resist you. Um, this seems to be talking about like the, the poor, the, the, the righteous poor, uh, who are not resisting the proud. They're, they're not raising their fist up. Uh, against them, they're turning the other cheek, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And he says, "You're up. You're basically killing him. Yeah. Uh, by by your treatment of them, you're taking away what they need to live. Yeah, exactly. If you haven't paid them for their labor, well, guess what? Now they're hungry from their labor, and they don't have anything to show for it to feed them to take care of their families. Exactly. So you're killing these guys. Come on. Yeah. Um, and so this is uh, a very sobering section to the rich, and just to, again. A, I mean, I might say, well, I'm not defrauding. I don't have any employees. I'm not defrauding anyone of their wages. Well, the principle is the same for everyone who has possessions. We all have, we all know of opportunities that we can be giving to others. And this is interesting to me that like God in, in the world, broken as it is, he allows wealth to be distributed unevenly accumulated more from some and others not. There are the haves and the have-nots. And what God intends is for people to voluntarily, out of seeing his grace to them, to give to those who who don't have. Uh, If we are part of the haves, it is our responsibility to look for and to be generous to those who do not have. And we may find ourselves at some point on the side of the have-nots, and we need to trust in the Lord. Um, especially when the haves are not helping uh, in the way that they ought, which is why he comes down so strong here on the the haves, the the rich. And that process of giving and receiving is part of what God wants to bring people together. Mm -hmm. Um, When the rich give and the poor receive, the rich feel generous and the poor feel grateful. That's how it ought to be. And that brings brethren closer together. I mean, back in chapter 2, he talked about a situation where the haves and the have-nots, it was creating division among the assembly. They were showing favor to the rich and not showing favor to the poor, probably in hopes of getting some benefit from the rich. And so, anyway, this whole letter of James is written to try to bring people together Mm -hmm. from different economic backgrounds, and the rich need to watch out and be generous. Yeah. Amen. Lord willing, next week, uh, as we get into the last section of James 5, we're going to be talking about kind of, kind of a bunch of different things as we wrap up, as a lot of these letters do. There will be some exhortations for patience and endurance, as well as understanding what the, um, what the response to suffering is and understanding what prayer does in moments like that. So Lord willing, we'll get into that next week. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the pod, uh, please leave us a, a subscri- or subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. Uh, We'd love to study with you like this. If you have questions about what you're hearing, reach out to us, 717-585-0949. You can text or call or email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, see capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much.